The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a neurologist and paid practitioner, and I have offices in Philadelphia and Delaware. We have a great show. We're going to be talking about PRP, platelet-rich plasma injections, and we'll be talking about Alex Rodriguez, Kobe Bryant, and Tiger Woods, three of many professional athletes who had PRP. We're also going to have a segment on the NBA, going over the All-Star Review, Slam Dunk Review, thumbs up and thumbs down. So as always... You're going to get a mixture of sports medicine. You're going to be learning some stuff. It'll be fun. And there will also be a current update on the NBA, the short season, and some of our winners and losers. So sit right back, and we're going to have a great show today. Well, Alex Rodriguez, otherwise known as A-Rod, just underwent a type of PRP procedure. It's actually a patented procedure in Germany called orthokine. And Rodriguez had it injected to his knees. One of the most important things that the listener should realize is that this is not considered performance enhancement. Alex Rodriguez had to get the permission of the New York Yankees and Major League Baseball. And because this is an autologous substance, that is, it essentially means that he is the donor. That is, his blood is going to be ejected. However, what they do is they retain and spin down approximately 20 cc's of blood. They put it in the centrifuge, and they get a concentrated serum. And then the blood is injected back into the patient's body, and the whole procedure takes one hour. The good news for the listeners here in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware is that we at Grossinger Neuropaid Specialists or one of the few centers that actually does PRP, and that's platelet-rich plasma. So if anybody wants a consultation, and I usually don't give my number out, but uh, in this case, we're going to do some shameless marketing, you could call us directly at 610-521-6063, 610-521-6063, and ask for a consultation with Dr. Bruce Grossinger, Bruce the Sports Doc, and... Who are the candidates for PRP? Anybody who has a failed surgery for the shoulder, elbow, knee, and ankle, 
anybody with progressive osteoarthritis or anybody with injuries to the joints, which are called synovial, which means they have fluid in them, to any of the joints, as well as the tendons or ligaments. In the future, I believe the PRP will be used for the spine. And in fact, in Germany, the orthokine therapy has been approved in Europe for the treatment of large joint injuries as well as spinal injuries. But in our practice, we have not yet expanded to the spine. So the question is, you're all wondering, what is PRP? Firstly, what causes arthritis? There is a bad guy protein called interleukin-1, which is the protein that is thought to be responsible for arthritis. The protein can go rogue and trigger inflammation that leads to degeneration and breakdown of cartilage. So when you have breakdown, what happens? You get osteoarthritis, wearing out. The knee joints become close together, bone on bone. The hip joints, the labrum, the acetabular areas become irregular, jagged, and cause pain with movement. The menisci, which are cartilaginous portions of the knees, tend to wear out and degenerate. The rotator cuff muscles, which move the shoulders, tend to wear out and become thin. You get fraying of the tendons, as well as foot problems, plantar fasciitis, ankle strains, tendonitis, ligament strains. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons in 2012 showed several presentations for PRP. And in fact, in one study, with respect to sports athletes, that is, athletes in general, whether you be professional, whether you be a weekend warrior like me, that is Bruce the Sports Doc, in one study, 94% had returned to play for partial ulnar collateral ligament tears. That is, what did we have before PRP? We had the Tommy John surgery. Tommy John surgery, pioneered by the famous New York Yankee, Tommy John, involves actually repairing and reconnecting the ulnar collateral ligament, usually with a donor ligament from the same patient. What's bad about that? You miss at least a year of playing. So for the exact disease that required Tommy John surgery, at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, with PRP, 94% return to play. That's pretty stunning. Another study compared cortisone, and we know cortisone is a good short-term anti-inflammatory, although repeated cortisone injections are associated with certain problems such as fluid retention, high blood pressure, mood instability, and also degeneration of tendons. So cortisone can be good on the short term, but as you know, in the old days, you remember the old hockey and football players, what did they do? They shot them up and put it back in the game? How did these guys fare? Not well. Most of them are having knee and shoulder replacements now in their 50s and 60s because repeated cortisone injections work on the short term, but long term cause major problems. So the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery compared PRP, platelet-rich plasma. That's the type of procedure we do in the office where we draw your own blood, spin it down in a harvest machine. We have over a million platelets, which is which I think is the best system. 
And then we inject it back in the area that needs it. So how does this work? Well, basically, the joints and tendons are fairly, are fairly avascular structures. They don't usually get a good blood supply. What would happen if you had blood flowing through your shoulder joint? You know what? You'd, you'd have a blood clot and your shoulder wouldn't move. So when we do PRP, we spin out all the clotting factors, all the red cells, and all we keep is the platelet-rich growth factors. It's thought that the growth factors actually recruit stem cells, which are helpful in regeneration of tissues. So the purpose of PRP, and we're still in a nascent phase, a nascent phase, which is new phase, early phase. When penicillin first came out, nobody knew how it worked. There weren't any large prospective studies, but you know what? We knew it worked because we knew the people started getting better. With PRP anecdotally, and now with the emerging research, we believe it definitely works. There's usually a series of three to five of these injections that occur over a series of four to six months. So this is a very slow rebuilding process. This is not a quick fix, but let me emphasize, it's a natural treatment. It doesn't involve any injection of drugs. It doesn't involve any tissues from other people. So virtually a 0% chance of infection or transferred infection from other people because we're drawing your own blood and injecting it back into you. Cortisone injections simply mask inflammation and therefore have no long-term effects. The bioactive proteins of PRP, that is all of the growth factors, actually stimulate healing and regeneration. And that's why we call this whole field bioregenerative orthopedics. So imagine that. It's a pretty big word. It barely fits onto my card. So let's summarize PRP. You're the patient. And the question I always get is, what am I going to experience? Let's go over it step by step. Firstly, you come into the office. You have your blood drawn. Usually around 20, 30, 60 cc's for a large procedure like a hip or a foot where we might be injecting tendons, joints, and ligaments. So you come in, you have some blood drawn. Then you watch as we put it in this really cool machine, which is called a harvest centrifuge. Spin out all the bad stuff, that is the red cells, the clotting factors, and we're down to serum, and we're down to platelet-rich plasma, the good stuff. And then basically you go into a room, and there's either a big x-ray called a fluoroscope, or there's an ultrasound, which is just sound waves. So usually we have a team of people, and let's say it's a uh, shoulder. You'll lay down on the table. We'll uh, put some local in, and then we'll inject the soup, otherwise known as the PRP. Um, what are the situations? So basically, if you're taking an anti-inflammatory, you have to be off of that for a few weeks because we're actually stimulating an inflammation. We're actually recruiting, not only we injected growth factors, but we're trying to recruit stem cells. So if we use an anti-inflammatory, we'll actually take the edge off of the beneficial effects of PRP. So the only caveat with respect to medicine is that you have to be off your anti-inflammatories. So you basically come in, get your blood drawn. We inject your joint. We see you in a couple weeks. And um, if all goes well, three to six weeks later, what do we do? We go back. So you come back, check you out. If all's well. We'll do between three and five PRP treatments. The good news about PRP is that the whole procedure, 
the doctor's fee, the injection, the centrifuge, the fluoro, everything added up less than $1,000 per procedure. Let's compare that to a surgery. Let's say a rotator cuff surgery, twenty dollars to $30,000. Well, it's kind of a no-brainer. So what we have here is a natural treatment, no drugs, no cortisone, no cutting, and something where some of the best athletes in the world, Kobe Bryant, Heinz Ward, Alex Rodriguez, have had either PRP or different flavors of PRP. It's really exciting stuff. And get ready for the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA, the All-Star Game, the Slam Dunk Contest, Rising Stars. So now we've given you a shot of medicine. It's time for an NBA update. Back in three. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the second segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Recapping our show today, We talked about PRP, platelet-rich plasma. And it's one of the most exciting breakthroughs in medicine. It's offered right in our practice at Grossinger Neuropain Specialist, 610-521-6064. Actually, if you're anywhere on the East Coast, you don't mind driving. If you live in Cape Hatteras, make sure you have a full tank of gas. But if you're in Philadelphia, Delaware, New Jersey, Maryland, or any of the surrounding states, including New York. There are only a few places that offer PRP. There are some university centers, and there are some private clinics, such as ours, and we're located right near the Philadelphia airport and also located in Wilmington, Delaware. Well, I promised you that we would, once we gave you a little dose of medicine, we'd give you a dose of NBA Recap. 
Let's look. Orlando, Florida, beautiful new arena. NBA All-Star Game. Just complete. Well, I personally enjoyed the Rising Stars Challenge. We saw Blake Griffith teamed with Jeremy Lin and Ricky Rubio. What a team that would be. They combined the razzle-dazzle of Pete Maravich and Ricky Rubio behind the legs, no-look passes. The guy really has everything, including a lot of charisma. Lin Sanity, what do you have to say about that guy? The guy always says the right thing. He's humble. He appreciates his family. He gives you a little dose of religion, but doesn't give you an OD on it. And and he's a very likable guy, very young. And uh, literally, his jerseys are selling millions of jerseys in Taiwan, China, all through Southeast Asia, and all through the United States. And I don't care who you are, if you're Asian or if you're anybody else, you got to love Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity. We saw a double dose of Blake Griffith. We saw him in the Rising Stars Challenge. We saw him in the All-Star Game. Athletic, unselfish, All-American. So certainly Jeremy Lin and Rubio and Griffith, they represent all what's good in athletes. As far as we know, drug-free, setting a good example for the kids. So certainly the Rising Stars Challenge, we saw Kyrie Irving, we also saw John Wall from Washington, and John Wall showed you why he was the number one pick. Real great handles, speed, scoring ability, and even defense, even a couple great blocks. So Wall is unfortunately buried on a team going nowhere, and it's amazing. Also, Kevin Love, three-point shooting uh, confrontation, going toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant. And Kevin Love, all six foot ten of him, was amazing. Four out of five, including the money ball. And K-Love came out victorious in the three-point contest. I must say, the slam dunk contest has certainly lost its luster over the years. We certainly remember, even last year, Blake Griffith dunking over a key. Certainly one of the most exciting and innovative dunks. This year was very disappointing. What makes a slam dunk contest disappointing? Well, number one, they miss so many dunks over and over and over. It's almost like in baseball you get a lot of foul balls, but there's no contest in the world that gives you more do-overs than the slam dunk contest. Also, devoid of stars, and there's not much else to say about the slam dunk except for it might be be time to put it out to pasture. We'll do is we'll take the NFL Pro Bowl, arguably the most meaningless and poorly performed all-pro game, and we'll package that up and put it on a raft with the slab dunk contest and just set it out to the open sea. Because these are dogs that have had their day. And that day is not now. Flash forward to the All-Star game itself. It started out as a blow away for the West. You don't expect to see a lot of D. You see a lot of run and gun. 
So the All-Star game is not supposed to be a defensive struggle. It will not be a scoreless tie. However, at one point in the fourth quarter, Dwayne Wade decided that he had enough of getting creeped by the West. And you know what he did? He sent a little calling card to Dwayne Wade. I mean, Dwayne Wade sent a little calling card to Kobe Bryant. He came in and did a little five-slamma-jamma on Kobe's face. Smacked him in the nose. Kobe looked at him. And being the professional that he was, he didn't say, what the heck are you doing? It's an all-star game. He just realized it was game on. So sure enough, we saw a really close game. Dwayne Wade. What happened? Derrick Rose started raining in threes. LeBron started playing like he could play. Dominant force. And all of a sudden, we had a game that went right down to the wire. Unfortunately for LeBron, he had the ball in his hands. A chance to make a last-second shot. And what did he do? He overthinked it one more time. He tried to do a cross-court pass to whoever. Got intercepted, and the game was over. At the end of the game, you look at Kobe, and, and he was appropriately razzing LeBron. Why didn't you shoot it? You're the best player of the game. And the question is, why did he shoot it? And then you saw Carmelo Anthony, number seven with the Knicks shirt, walking over him, looking at him and saying, I was wide open. Why didn't you just pass it to me? Why did you have to go cross court? So that was it. So in the middle of a meaningless showboating all-star game, in the fourth quarter, Dwayne Wade upped the ante. And you actually saw, if you actually were still watching the game at that point, most of us were not. Most of, them were, most of us were knee-deep in our nachos and dip at that time. Or we were busy watching the very lackluster Academy Awards. I don't know about you people. Again, we don't talk a lot about entertainment, but the series of movies this year, you go... The artists, the help, the descendants. My God. We needed a front runner. But instead we got a lot of also rants. So this silent movie, the artist ended up taking the big enchilada. Highlights of the Oscars last night. I always like the comedic actors. And they never win Academy Awards. Zach Galifianakis, Robert Downey Jr., Bed Stiller, Will Ferrell. All the movies that I like and that Stretch the Wizard likes, for some reason, never get the glowing attention of the international media or anybody voting for the Oscars. Christopher Plummer, how could we forget the sound of music, gets his Oscar, maybe a little bit delayed, 30 years later. And Meryl Streep, Go figure. 17 award nominations. A slam dunk for her. You know, I was kind of happy. Glenn Close, you know, she was dressed up as a man. And I think, in general, the Academy Award winners are often involved in politically correct endeavors where a man dresses as a woman, a woman dresses as a man, somebody plays somebody with uh, with only one foot, like my left foot, or somebody who's you know, who's challenged in some way or another. So it's nice to see somebody playing Margaret Thatcher actually win the Academy Award. What does this have to do with sports medicine or the NBA? Nothing really. 
Let's give you a news update and sports update. We're right here at the end of February, beginning of March 2012. We do, as a recurred theme on our show, with our sports director, the illustrious Mr. Ray Ellis, is we always pay tribute to Mr. David Dorson. Began playing football at age 8. Had a minimum of 10 concussions during an 11-year NFL career, punctuated by 1986 Super Bowl victory with the Chicago Bears. The hot news this week is Mr. Dewarson's family is following suit for compensation, for pain and suffering, for Mr. Dewarson having his life end prematurely due to the effects, the work-related effects of playing in the National Football League, joining a host of other individuals, including quarterbacks, Terry Bradshaw, Jim McMahon, and numerous other players who have found their brains ravaged by psychiatric neurological effects. Mr. Dorson, a really bright guy, a learned individual, over five years prior to his death, developed short-term memory difficulties, problems with language and vision, And people who knew David, especially during his playing career, noted that there was no more under-control individual than David Dorson. People who knew him well, though, noted that he became uncharacteristically verbally and physically abusive, hot-tempered, developed a short fuse, and eventually took his own life, a life he didn't want to live anymore. And in a heroic, though not very insightful thing to do, essentially donated his brain to science while he was still alive. So again, we don't recommend that for anybody. But Mr. Dorson was a hero on on and off the field. Certainly was a hero at Voice America Sports. He had a great show. He was well-loved by everybody, and he will be sorely missed. So in the headlines, Mr. Dorson's family, his estate, joins the growing list of players who are filing suit with respect to injuries suffered during the illustrious NFL career of Mr. David Dorson. We've got two more exciting segments. Don't go away. We'll be back in three. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. 
visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the concussion section of Bruce the Sports Doc. In this segment, we're going to talk about brain injuries, primarily in the sporting arena, but we're also going to lend some data from the military with respect to blast injuries and also talk a bit about how you can have a concussion without even hitting your head. Firstly, the first myth we want to dispel is Do you need to have a loss of consciousness in order to have a concussion? The answer is resoundingly no. Less than 10% of sports concussions involve an athlete fully losing consciousness. And you might wonder, why is that? It has to do with the anatomy of the brain. In some ways, there's redundancy in the brain, and the way the brain is wired up protects us from losing consciousness, which is the ultimate lack of control. Therefore, if there's a brain injury that only affects one of the cerebral hemispheres, either the right or the left, even to a severe extent, the patient will retain consciousness and not pass out. Also, if the injury spares the brain stem, which is a very deep, protected portion of the brain, then the, the, the injury will not arise in a loss of consciousness. So that is, over 90% of the concussions have preservation of consciousness. So instead, what are we looking for? We're looking for symptoms. That is, during the game, the athlete will complain of headaches, difficulty with light and sound sensitivity, will have slow reaction time, will have trouble remembering the plays, or will forget plays prior to the game. We've also noted that they feel very slow and off balance, stumbling around. So as a parent, trainer, or coach, you have to be very attentive to what you see and what you hear from your athletes on the field. When a concussion is diagnosed, we believe that the athlete must come out of the game. And in fact, 16 of the 50 states have mandated laws that suggests when a concussion is recognized, the patient must come out of the game. They must not return to the practice field. They must not return to game play until the symptoms of concussions have abated entirely and until a physician, that is a doctor like me, fully examines and clears the patient to return to exertion and play. So again, The good news is there are 16 states out there that are very proactive. The bad news is the other states have to come a long way, 
particularly in high school sports. Do you know that less than 40% of high school football games are attended by even an athletic trainer? And imagine, far less, have any physician at all at the scene of the game itself. So that means that we have a long path to go down to educate because we're up against the old the old ways, okay? The old ways of practice. There's a drill called bull in the ring where there is one athlete in the middle who basically gets uh, physically abused, for the lack of a better word, by a group of people. And that involves a lot of contact to the head and neck. And this bull in the ring drill should be outlawed. Further, did you know that 75% of concussions in the sport of football occur not in the game, but in practice? So therefore, we need to be vigilant. Trainers, coaches, parents, athletes, we need to know about the signs of concussion because a lot of times they're going to happen in a place that's not well monitored. That is a practice session, whether it be peewee football, high school, or college. These practices are typically not attended by trainers and almost never by physicians. With tests are there to help the doctor and trainer to diagnose concussion. Well, there are several sideline tests. There's a test called the SAC, which is a SAC test. It involves certain parameters, such as the attention span, the speech, the recall, the reaction time. There's another test called a SCAT-2, which was recently embraced by the NFL as a sideline test. We, as neurologists, do not believe that this is the panacea. And in fact, the SCAT-2 is more outdated than some of our more recent tests. With respect to actual testing, formal testing, impact testing developed at the University of Pittsburgh is probably the most pervasive and utilized computer-generated 20 to 30-minute test with respect to concussion. There's usually a baseline test which is administered to the whole team. And then, after concussion, the individual athlete is tested. There are four different parameters, including reaction time and visual speed and verbal speed. And these are numbers and percentages. And the doctor can use these tests in many useful ways. Number one, to follow along, maybe every couple weeks, maybe every few months. There's no specific cookbook for using the impact test. However, we know that it's a very useful test. And that way, when there has been a gross improvement in scores on the impact test, correlating with an abatement or diminution of symptoms, then the athlete could start training again and eventually get back to the field. One caveat is, with baseline tests, it's important that the athlete try and put forth a valid test. If an athlete doesn't try, there are several ways that the person scoring the exam can see that the athlete did not try on the test. I was a bit surprised and disheartened that in the recent interview 
apologize for the eruption. Just a call to uh, treat somebody with a cerebral hemorrhage. No problem. Consider it fixed. We're back. And about impact testing and performance, the fact that Peyton Manning said that he didn't try his best on his baseline test does a disservice to all the youngsters out there. Okay, that's that's really not a good thing that he said. And uh, it just shows us we're all mortals, and sometimes we say things that are uh, not that smart, even bordering on stupid. Folks, you've diagnosed a concussion. What do you do next? Number one, it is true that you have to rest the brain. And by resting, it doesn't mean you send your teenage quarterback home to a barrage of text messages, Facebook and Twitter, and computer games and video games. It's been shown experimentally that this type of over-excitement and hyper-stimulation of the brain actually slows recovery of concussion. So it's very important that, that, that patients who have moderate to severe concussions rest the brain. They often need a break from school. They often require some homeschooling until they recover from their concussion. And it's very important for the neurologist to advocate for the athletes. A lot of times you're dealing with administrations of high schools that don't have a great understanding of concussion or great empathy. That leads me into another point about impact testing. Not only is the impact testing useful in providing a baseline and following the patient's recovery objectively over time, but sometimes really horrible scores of the impact testing are required so that the parents actually appreciate the gravity of a concussion. Because sometimes you deal with the macho dads who say, my kid's fine, he just rung his bell. And they may not let the doctor treat the patient appropriately and protect them from re-injury, devastating second impact syndrome. And also in dealing with these high school administrators, if you show them how poorly the athlete performed on impact testing, it makes it a lot easier for you to get the appropriate accommodations with time off school, homebound instructors, and gradual acclimation back to school, back to exertion, and eventually back to the field of play. Let's talk about aggressive treatment for concussion. Number one, the drug that is most commonly utilized across all academic circles, and again, there's a diversity of practice habits because of the newness of concussion, would have to be the the dopamine-stimulating drug, amantadine. Amantadine is a drug that's used for Parkinson's disease. It's used for brains that are depleted of dopamine. So we believe that dopamine does play a role in the active symptomatology of concussion, particularly those patients who are very slow, very fatigued, and very off balance. And we usually start our patients on amantadine at a dose of 100 milligrams twice daily. We usually monitor them, and in two to four weeks, we usually do a repeat clinical exam and a repeat impact test to see whether this drug has had an effect on their performance. Another drug I use as a neurologist is a drug that's usually used for attention deficit disorder. 
That's a drug called Adderall. It's a stimulating drug. It is a controlled substance. But in the right hands, it can be used effectively. And what this drug does is it really revs up the brain, stimulates the brain, keeps the brain awake. It helps with, the con with concentration span. Really helps with attentiveness. And because the brain is very alert, it does help with memory, both recent, intermediate, and to some degree, remote memory. So I have patients that are very slow, very confused, really scrambled, who I treat with Adderall usually for a limited amount of time. Typically from three to nine months is the window. Not usually long term. I usually stay away from drugs in the Valium family. Even though patients can be very anxious, the Valium drugs are related to a, to a chemical called GABA. Gamma amino, amino, excuse me, GABA amino butyric acid. Okay? In some ways, this is a miracle drug for anxiety, but what it does do is it causes memory disturbance and tiredness. Exactly what you want to have, what you don't want to have in your patient who suffers from concussion. So, so doctors, Stay away from Valium, Xanax, Ativan, Restoril, the whole group of benzodiazepines. It's been shown experimentally that these drugs actually worsen cognitive performance and should be avoided with respect to closed head injuries and concussions. So symptomatically, as a doctor, there are two things I want to do following an acute concussion. I want to help take away the headache or palliate the headache, which often resembles a migraine, throbbing, intolerance of lighted sound, nausea, vomiting. And how do I treat these headaches? I treat concussion migraines just the way I treat regular migraines. I use a class of drugs called the tryptan class, which basically stimulates the serotonin receptor in the brain. And there's a whole host of great drugs. And they work about the same. The only difference is some of them are a little more potent, some of them last a little longer, and some of them are metabolized at a different rate. But some of the drugs you will recognize are Ibitrex, Ralpax, and Maxalt are, are triptan drugs I use. The nice thing is they're not narcotic, they're not addictive, and they work quickly. And they cause a resolution of concussion migraines, typically in 20 to 40 minutes. And there can be a redose of these drugs. I also use drugs to prevent headaches. I use Topamax as a membrane stabilizer, which is also an anticonvulsant. I use Depakote, which is also an anticonvulsant. And I, for the most part, I avoid Indorol or Propanolol, which is called a beta blocker. Because this drug can exacerbate a depression, and I see so many concussion patients who have depression, and treating them with Indorol would unmask the depression. So for you doctors out there, I would say to prevent the migraines of concussion, and to slow them down, reduce the number, I would advocate Topamax, Depakote, and I would even use the tricyclic antidepressants, such as Elevil, such as Pamelor, 
such as Wellbutrin, such as Paxil, because these drugs help amplify norepinephrine and serotonin. They help elevate the spirits of the patient. And they also have an effect on membrane stabilization and reduction of headaches. So I guess that's one advantage, I must say, carrying the, the flag for the neurologists out there. Some of these sports doctors are orthopedic doctors. Their knowledge of migraine headaches can at times be fit on the head of a pin. So I would say, in deference to the other specialties, that if somebody is really suffering from migraine headaches from concussion, they should involve a neurologist as part of the team. Or, in my case, the captain of the team. Stay tuned to the fourth and final segment of Bruce's Sports Doc, where we will talk to Dr. Joseph Fernandez about ACL tears, Terrell Owens, and rehabilitation of the ACL injury. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now... Back to the show. Welcome to the final edition of Bruce's Sports Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a neurologist and paid practitioner. I practice at Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. We are happy to see anybody, whether you have HMO insurance, Medicare, workers' comp, motor vehicle, whatever it is. We believe truly in helping people, young and old, athletes, and weekend warriors alike, with concussions neck and back problems or pain problems. This final segment will highlight the neurochemistry of concussion, that is, what happens when there's a brain injury. This is is excerpted, and credit needs to be given to Dr. David Havda, the director of the UCLA Brain Injury Research Center, who was kind enough to speak with Dr. Kevin Crutchfield at a great conference the Sinai Hospital of Baltimore in Baltimore, Maryland. The conference titled 
Bridging the Gap, Current Science and Management of Concussion. What's the biological basis of traumatic brain injury? This all goes back to Dr. Walker, 1944, who in the Journal of Neurosurgery asked a simple question. What is so mild about mild traumatic brain injury? The answer is nothing, but it proves a point that every traumatic brain injury starts out as a concussion. Whether or not there's a loss of consciousness, there is a brain injury. And usually the injury is on a cellular level. So what happens in a concussion? Glutamic acid or glutamate rushes in and acts like a hammer to the cells. And what happens? The cells leak out potassium. So at the very basic cellular level, you've got glutamate coming in, an acidic substance, irritating and inflaming, and inflaming and injuring the brain cells, the neurons. And what happens? The potassium leaks out and causes all kinds of derangements. There is an energy crisis. So the pump, which converts ATP to ADP, gets derailed. So there's diminished energy in the brain. How's that manifested clinically? People who are just tired all the time. Lack of effort. Lack of motivation. That's what happens when brain cells have hyperglycolysis and an energy crisis. And then there's an influx of calcium. And the powerhouse of the cell is called the mitochondria. That mitochondria is what powers all the cells in the body and as well as the neurons. Our brain cells are very sensitive to oxygen and sugar, glucose. If there's not enough of either, there's a problem. So what happens is the calcium leaks in, causes cell damage to the brain, energy crisis, and death. And there's particular injury to the connecting nerves between the brain cells, which are called the axons. So the long highways connecting the cells are the axons, and there's axonal injury. There's a neurometabolic cascade. And we can see this on certain functional MRIs, which is called fMRI. You look at controls, normal brains, nice, robust, meaty brains. We look at impaired brains following concussion. There's abnormal activation patterns in functional MRI. And particularly during working memory, we can see that there's diminished energy and there's hypometabolism within the brain in patients who suffer traumatic brain injury. So, why is this all important? Well, there's some evidence experimentally in animals to suggest that certain chemicals could improve the TBI-induced hyperglycemia. One of them is lactic acid called lactate, which in muscles is a bad guy. When you work out too hard and you get that burn in your muscles, that's the lactic acid. However, lactate was shown by Chen, Rice, and Holloway, most recently in 2007, to improve functional outcome in sparing of glucose. Another acidic drug, pyruvate acid. Now, if you, you look at pyruvate, it's one of the hot drugs that people are using as an uh, inhibitor to weight gain. And in fact, people believe that peruvic acid, peruvic acid actually 
will, will diminish the appetite. Well, not only can it be used that way, but it also has been shown experimentally by Fukushima and Moro, 2005-2007, Japanese researchers, that the lesion size of the concussion was reduced by treating patients with pyruvic acid, also animal research in that regard. And finally, another chemical, beta-hydroxybutyrate, try to say that while you're whistling, eating crackers, also helps to synthesize ATP. It helps with neuroprotection and reduce lesion size. At present, have any of these treatments been FDA approved? No. Have they been shown in large randomized studies to have a functional improvement in human beings with brain injuries? Not yet. But certainly Dr. Ravd at UCLA is one of the great centers of the country. We're studying to see how can we protect the brain before and after concussion. We also talk about age-related effects of brain injury. One thing we know about young brains is that there's a certain amount of neuroplasticity. That is, a brain part can be injured, and other parts of the brain can take up for the injured part of the brain. That's called plasticity of the brain. Now, this happens best when you're young. And so there's one school of thought to say, if you're going to have a brain injury, have it when you're young. On the other hand, there's a school of thought that says human brains don't get fully myelinated until they're age 22. So if you have a growing brain that's not fully developed, it may be detrimental to have a brain injury. So on one hand, there's plasticity, where parts of the brain can actually learn new areas and can adapt for injured or dead parts of the brain. But on the other hand, there's a detriment of the growing brain which is not fully mature, and the vulnerability to concussion. In study of brain injury in rats, Hudson et al., 2011, it shows, it shows there's progressive injury to the nigrostriatal portions of the brain. What does that mean? It means the part of the brain that's responsible for Parkinson's disease, dementia pugilistica, the best example, Muhammad Ali, boxers in general, they tend to have more motor problems. They develop slowing, freezing, tremors, difficulty with balance and walking. And that phenomena is thought to be related to the nigrostriatal degeneration and dopamine. And our football players, they tend to have more cognitive and psychological problems and less problems with Parkinson's disease. The football players tend to have shorter lifespans. Whether it's from the progression of the disease, certainly enhanced suicide, more so than in boxers. Muhammad Ali just celebrated his 70th birthday. So, how do we treat these patients? We often use amantadine, which is in the dopamine family, for people with motor problems and concussion. It seems to help. We use it amantadine 100 milligrams once daily or twice daily. And again, University of Pittsburgh, Dr. Mickey Collins also uses amantadine. Dr. Kevin Crutchfield, team physician, Baltimore Ravens, Baltimore Orioles, also is a big believer in symptomatic treatment of concussion. Dr. Crutchfield believes not on, only in treating dopamine and replacing it, 
but also in aggressively managing sleep problems associated with concussions. That is, using medicines such as Ambien, Lunesta, or some of the milder benzodiazepines, which are Valium-like drugs. So, acute treatment of concussion, rest the brain, let them sleep. And now we're seeing more aggressive treatments using replacement neurochemicals, including amantadine. And the basis was highlighted in Dr. Rafa's talk of January 28, 2012, when he talked about progressive degeneration and cell loss in the extrapyramidal system, the nigrostriatal pathways, and really nice brain sections. Again, let's reference Dr. Hudson, H-U-T-S-O-N, Journal of Neurotrauma, 2011. So as always here at Bruce the Sports Doc, we're bringing you cutting-edge stuff in the field of concussion, brain injury, and most importantly, treatment and management of brain injury. So we want to pay tribute to Dr. David Dewerson, to Mr. David Dewerson, who is a used doctor, but certainly if they gave doctorates for ability, professionalism, and professional sports and football, Mr. Dewerson would have that doctorate. We thank Dr. David Ravda from the UCLA Medical Center as he's allowed us to reference the syllabus for bridging the gap, traumatic brain injury. We thank Dr. Kevin Crutchfeld for putting together the conference at Sinai Hospital in Boston, and for his ongoing, active, and tireless work in the field of concussion and brain injury. We want to most importantly thank you listeners. We have a growing list of people across the world that are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc. And you know what you can get from us. You're going to get straight talk. You're going to get medicine. You're going to learn about sports injuries that you could apply yourself you could apply locally here in Philadelphia by seeing us in person, or you could get the proper help you need by seeing a neurologist, sports medicine doctor in your local area. So tune in next week to another edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We really appreciate your listening. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.